Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Risk and Reward, the golf podcast presented by Winning Engine Investments with the goal of keeping you on the right side of the betting ledger. I'm Rod Murray and as always I'll be operating the technology today that captures the thoughts of our resident expert John Evans as he lays out this week's staking plan for both the European and US golf tours. John's credentials are strong with more than 50 years as a golf professional behind him and even more than that as a punter, all of which puts him in perfect position to find the value betting in the weekly golf markets. John will join us in just a moment, but first, some homework. What we cover here on Risk and Reward each week is really just a small sample of the weekly staking plan that John lays out for the subscribers to the Winning Edge Golf newsletter. Now, if you've been listening for a while, or even if you're a first-time visitor, the reward for being part of the Risk and Reward family is a discounted offer to sign up for said monthly newsletter. It's normally $150 a month, but with a 25% discount for being a listener, that brings it down to $112.50, and that's good for the life of the subscription. Not only that, but if you sign up for either 3 or 12 months, there's a profit guarantee, which means really you have nothing to lose. Check the show notes below here for direct links or head to winningengineinvestments.com slash products slash golf. And when you fill out the form, use promo code GOLF25 and you will instantly be saving. Okay, that's the formalities out of the way. Let's now dive into the fun stuff. I'll start by bringing in John Evans, who hasn't yet returned to New Zealand, which means I've got the pleasure of his company again here in the Sydney studios. Jay, welcome. Good to see you. Glad you made it, considering that it's been Armageddon in the Harbour City for the past couple of days. Well, thank you, Rod. Um, the, the 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 boys are after me, though. I'm going to have to leave on Saturday. There's been a, a warrant out, so um, I'll be back to the land of the long white cloud and having to do this thing by uh, by osmosis. But it's been a lot of fun, and uh, checking out your podcast studio has been uh, a revelation. It's a, it's a top facility. It's just nice to talk face-to-face, don't you think, Jay? We've done a Skype interviews before, and they're good. The technology's fantastic, and it's better than the phone, and it's better than it was 30 years ago. But nothing, I don't think replaces sitting in the same room and the dynamic that that brings. Well, there's one big advantage. You know, I can put my finger up and and uh, stop you talking, so it makes it quite a bit easier for me. And that finger is getting a workout. Let's start the proceedings for today and start with a performance review of last week. What happened with our bets? Because I'll be honest with you, I've been a little bit busy with some podcasting business. I haven't had a look. How did we go? Well, we did have a, uh, a pretty good result in uh, the... European Tour Tournament, uh, our selection at $430, uh, James, uh, not James, uh, James Morrison, James Morrison, um, he, uh, he, at $430, he was right in the picture all the way through, just just finished up fourth, but we tipped him on the podcast at uh, $10 to run in the top 20, and obviously finishing fourth, he cruised in there. And that meant that we made a profit on our top 20 tips and ate into a small loss overall for the week, which is uh, pleasing if we can minimise our, obviously with our philosophy of picking long price winners, a couple of two or three winners a, a year is a very profitable year for us and it means we don't have to repay the subscribers, which is always pleasing. <laughs> Keeps you in a job. Uh, probably, yeah, probably. Although I've got a bit of, uh, there's a bit of nepotism in there. But um, anyway, the, the the advantage of this is uh, we did pick one of the top 10 players and he uh, had a run at the win, just got pipped by Sergio, who played beautifully in the back nine. And uh, But we got the top 10, 20 in and we got a couple of... Uh, 
tips for podcast, Pete, and the top 20 again this week. That's the real value of that top 20, isn't it, J.E., is that picking winners is it's not impossible, but it's extraordinarily difficult in golf. And even with two holes to go, amazing things can happen. And folks who look like they can't possibly lose manage to do so. But that top 20 betting, every week when you dish up the odds for some of these guys in the top 20, I find it just, they're juicy, they're attractive. That looks like a really sensible um, way to bet for, for mine, for mine. I think you've proved that again this week. Well, I think we've we've had two outs uh, since we've been doing it, which is about sort of seven or eight weeks. We had two weeks where we didn't find one, but the rest of the weeks we're finding one. Uh, we're not investing a great deal of uh, our bank. Um, and what it does is it amortises our losses overall on a weekly basis. So it's proven to be a successful part of the thing. It doesn't cost the subscribers anything extra. So it's a win win f- for for them. That sense. Now, before we come to some of this week's betting, I wanted to talk with you about the Solheim Cup, which, as predicted, was the most exciting golf event of the week. And in fact, the way it finished, it's going to contend for one of the most exciting golf tournaments of the year. Suzanne Pedersen hold the, the captain's pick, who I was sceptical of. You were uh, you were committed to her. You thought she was a good pick. Turned out, it all came down to a putt from her on the very last hole, on the last day, which will be her last putt as a professional because she announced her retirement afterwards, and she holed it. It was a fantastic event, wasn't it? Leaving aside the betting for the moment, John. What a fantastic ad for golf and for women's golf, I thought. What a terrific week it was. Oh, I think it was also a fantastic achievement by the captain, Beanie, uh, who um, who picked two captain's picks, Celine Boutier, the French girl, and Suzanne Pedersen, and without those two, they... They would have been down the track. They wouldn't have had a chance. And uh, uh, Celine Boutier won four out of four. And uh, Suzanne Pedersen, two and a half out of four. And the, and the most crucial one. But I, And everybody's talked about the fantastic putchy hole. But the real shot, I think, was the wedge she hit into the last green. It's very, very narrow where the flag was. She flew it past the flag, sucked it back. It could have gone in on running past the hole. And she then holed the putt. It was a brilliant effort. And what was so fantastic about it, I thought, was Marina Alex, who obviously had really enjoyed the contest and had uh, and had fought very hard, uh, went up and threw her arms around uh, Susan Pedersen and showed what a phenomenal spirit there was in that event. And the spectators absolutely loved the whole finish. It, was a, it really was a great ad for golf, wasn't it? And I thought you're, you're, you're exactly right about Marina and Alex. We often see in those situations, those team situations, the green bit gets very quickly swamped. And the traditional thing to do in golf is to shake your opponent's hand and thank them for the contest and congratulate them if they've won. And that actually happened in this case, which was, uh, which was terrific. She was a revelation, that booty, eh, wasn't she? Well, I, she won uh, the Vic Open. Uh, she and, uh, I've... In Bonville last year, I was there when she won. I tipped her a couple of times after she... I was quite impressed with her efforts in the Vic Open and, and I tipped her a couple of times in in uh, America and she she finished top five in one or two of the events that I tipped. I, she's a very, very solid player and showed a lot of steel. Uh, I, I was extremely impressed with uh, four players at the Solheim Cup and I'd like to talk about them if you wouldn't mind, right? I thought that uh, Georgia Hall, who obviously won the British Women's Open last year, was showed what enormous potential she's got to become a top four or five player in the world. Uh, her chipping technique, to me, looked a bit 
uh, wooden and one-dimensional, but a good uh, chipping teacher and will would would solve that problem. I think in probably a, a month, and uh, if she can can do that, her her uh, driving was fantastic, and her pressure putting was also fantastic. Saloon Boudio, but Boudier, four wins came from behind in the singles match, uh, ran over the top of her opponent, and was a was an inspired choice. And then for America, the two quarter sisters, Jessica and uh, Nellie, uh, what a couple of great players they are, couldn't spot a weakness in either of their games and how similar they are was uh, demonstrated by the fact that to keep warm before one game, they did a little jig on the first tee and it was in perfect unison. I thought that was fantastic. And uh, they obviously have gone to the same dancing school. Great great genes, obviously. Peter Corder, an Australian Open tennis champion in his own right. And their brother is a junior Australian Open tennis champion, I believe. It, Nelly has won the Australian Open, as has Jessica. So pretty strong ties to Australia. I was incredibly impressed with Nelly last year when she won the Australian Open on a golf course, a style of golf course she would not be familiar with at Royal Adelaide. Sorry, um, Kuyonga. Kuyonga last year. Much more bouncy sort of golf where you need to uh, use the ground a lot more than what they're used to in America. And both the court assistants are the quintessential modern golfer. Power players, hit the ball high, a lot of spin, stop it where it lands. Uh, but she adapted beautifully to that and they both adapted beautifully to conditions in Scotland, even though it has to be said the Glen Eagles course that they played was far more American in style and feel than what you would find at a traditional links. But they look to be what you don't see a lot in modern golf, John. Very rounded players capable of adapting to all sorts of different conditions. Well, I saw a lot of players disappointingly hit the wrong clubs for chipping. Uh, going uphill, hitting a 60 degrees, and which is a recipe for disaster. But the quarter sisters, I noticed... Uh, were not averse to chipping uphill with a seven iron or an eight iron, and and that is probably what assisted them at Kuyonga because Kuyonga is a very very good golf course, very difficult, uh, small greens. If you miss the green, you can't always pitch it. So I thought that uh, they showed not only wonderful swings, fine ball striking but also fantastic course management. Those two girls are going to win a hell of a lot. In a similar vein, J.E., before you go on with your ones that you wanted to talk about in particular, on the on the, the European side, Anne Van Dam gets an awful lot of uh, attention for having a magnificently beautiful, pretty technically fantastic golf swing, and she does have that. And I know it sounds like a crazy thing to say, but this girl just needs to learn how to play golf, doesn't she, so she can make use of that magnificent <laughs> golf swing that she's got. Well, what was interesting is if you see her on the range, which is flat, and all ranges are pretty flat, uh, she's in balance. She finishes her swing both back and forward, and she's got, uh, you see some of the things where she's got uh, straps around her and electric, electronic uh, devices to measure everything. But I, what was disappointing was on the course, she didn't have the same commitment to the swing on side hill lies, up hill lies, down hill lies and consequently she hit a lot of very ordinary shots from tee to green which one would have thought she would have had well under control. The opposite is true of say Carlotta Saganda who 
for, has, has a weakness with her putting, but from tee to green, completes the swing on every occasion and as a result is a very, very good ball striker. Anne Van Dam has to learn, in my opinion, uh, a couple of skills. She has to learn how to stay in balance and complete the swing, even when struck with an unusual lie or strong winds. But she also has to learn how to chip and putt because she slaughtered uh, a number of holes, including the last hole, which could have made a, a crucial difference to Europe. As it turned out, it didn't. But she could have, she should have won the last hole and didn't. And I think that uh, she needs good training by a very good chipping coach and by probably somebody like Bradley Hughes, who I think understands the golf swing as anybody in the world today. She's got all the potential, hasn't she, Jay? I guess this is the exciting thing. She could be an Ellie Corder, a Jessica Corder. She's got all the tools to Pro- be that player. She probably could be better than them if she... But but they've got a head start on her because they already know those things. Well, it's one thing to swing the golf club, isn't it? It's another thing to play golf, and they are. Two not separate, but two different skills. She might be better. She might be better, Rod, to stay off the range and just go to the course. Let's let's hope that she's solution driven and not problem driven. Did we get through all of your players? The two quarter sisters, Boudier and Segando. Is that right? Uh, we got through the ones that I was positive about, and I don't think we need to worry about the ones I was negative about. They probably won't be back. No time to go through the rest of the list. Two you weren't positive, but anyway. And a little tip in there for any amateur golfers out there listening: throw away the sixty degree wedge. Is that good advice? No, 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 no. I don't think it is. Uh, if you're in a bunker, uh, particularly at, say, Metropolitan and rock rock hard fast greens and the pin's close to you, the 60-degree wedge is the only uh, possibility. And going downhill where you need flight and soft uh, travel so it doesn't run too far, the 60 degrees perfect. But if you're going uphill, it's crazy. It's the wrong club on any uphill pitch. So forget about it then. But, uh, I, I mean, we got by with, I think, a 56 was our greatest thing, and we had to figure out how to use the 56 to, to play the shots. People now play with a 60. But we never used the 56 going uphill, so don't do it with the 60. The kids have grown up with them, so, that, you know, that's the one club that they probably, you know, run around to the market with, so... All right, let's come to some tipping for this week, J.E. Uh, like we had with the U.S. Tour and the FedEx Cup, the big finale, the run to the end has started for the European Tour now. This is their flagship event this week, the BMW PGA Championship at Wentworth, which is the head office of the European Tour. This used to be played, I'm going to say in May, but with the changes on the U.S. schedule, they shifted it to this end of the year in September. So I suppose there's a little bit of an unknown there, but what we do have this week is a fantastic field gathered in England for the BMW PGA Championship. So, tell us who podcast Pete should be looking at, uh, which is obviously not the comprehensive list that, uh, that subscriber Steve will have access to. Yeah, well, we've we've uh, tipped for subscriber Steve um, about eight uh, players, um, and we're only going to give you out two, because we otherwise, why would you subscribe? Um, but the interesting thing about uh, this event is that... Uh, a lot of the very good players have very consistent and phenomenal records at this event. The The best players go there. It's the second best field in world golf 
after the players' championship. It's we've got to give the wasn't it? it really is quite remarkable. Yeah, we've got to give the players. Uh, I'm not sure about the players as a major, but I am certain that the players is a very very good field. The top, I think it's something like ninety uh, percent of the top hundred, and I think uh, they get about sixty uh, percent of the top hundred here, which is pretty impressive. Um, so I've got one of them, a fellow that no one will have heard of, um, unless they watch the British Open when Francesco Molinari beat Tiger. Now, his uh, record at uh, Wentworth in this tournament is nothing short of sensational. He's won it, and I think six out of the last eight years he's finished in the top ten. And so it's no surprise that we've tipped him for the top 20. I might get in this early. At $2.62 for the top 20. Now, when you think about it, He's six out of eight. He's uh, finished in the top ten. $2.62 for the top 20 is luxury because I divide the top 20 price by three to get to the top ten price. So he's two sixty-two, six out of eight, he's running the top ten, and I think four out of eight, he's running the top five. Now, it's fair to say that since he dumped it in the water on 12 at the Masters, that his form hasn't been as strong as it was prior. But horses for courses, Francesco Molinari will come out and he'll finish in the top 10 and he'll contend. So $38 the win is our first podcast peak tip for the BMW. The funny thing about that, Jay, I suppose in some ways, it, the turn, most good players at some point will have a little dip in their form. And the turnaround always comes with an event somewhere, and it'll generally come at a place where they're comfortable, won't it? So you would think this all sets up for Francesco to get back to being more Francesco-like after this week. Well, the reason that you have a slump is because you lose confidence. Now, there's an argument that says you lose confidence because you're in a slump. But if you're a person going to a golf tournament and, and you're not necessarily Francesco Molinari, you're either taller or shorter and rounder or squarer, but you're going to the Wentworth and you've got a lot of people coming up to you and clapping you on the back for your previous performances. You're, you feel comfortable at the course. You're being lauded by everybody and you walk in there and if you don't feel more confident, then um, there's, uh, you're a very unusual person. I can remember on some of the rare tournaments that I won, when I went back there, it was quite easy to run in the top four or five, if or not win the next year or two, because it you just felt right about the course. So Francesco is in that position here. This is probably the one tournament and the one course where he has the best record. And obviously the the setup of when he stands on every tee, he, it obviously suits his eye. Uh, let's go through the other two that you've got here for the BMW PGA. I don't normally tip... Uh, Anybody under three or 400 So tipping him at $38 is a rarity. We're always interested in value, um, and certainly we've got value with him there. But we get back to the norm, and we've got Shubhanka Sharma, the uh, Indian young fellow who's got a lot of ability, and we've got him at $670 on Betfair. Remember, we're betting on Betfair. And uh, I've given him... 0.2 units, so whatever your unit structure is, if you're a $5 man, put $10 on, $670. Showing a bit of form, won a couple of times very early on in his career. 
showing a bit of form, 6.70, looks to me about three times his right odds. And the other guy I've got in here uh, is Oliver Fisher, who many will remember shot a 59 last year, the first 59 of the European Tour, excuse me, <coughs> and uh, 59's a fairly low score. I don't think it's, it's never been done before and it's been done by him now. So we've we've tipped him to uh, run in the top. We've tipped him to not only to win but also to run in the top 20. So Oliver Fisher, one very good player. $910. That does seem like long odds for, for a bloke with that sort of ability. You, you've you've wandered into the top twenty there, JE. Finish it off. There's one other. Yeah, sorry, my, 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 my iPad broke down. I don't, I've got a printed copy because I haven't got a printer. But it, so sorry about that. So I, I lost lost my way there for a bit. The the top twenty uh, players for podcast Pete are Ernie Els at nineteen dollars. Now Ernie, uh, in and out of form, mainly out, but. If you have a look at his record over the last 10 years, including one in the last three or four years, again at this course is nothing short of outstanding. So I thought Ernie, with a half-decent early start, $19 for the top 20 was very big odds. You're basically saying, will Ernie come right? And will he come right here at the BMW at Wentworth? I'm thinking he will. And the other one is another low-priced player. Again, I don't often offer low-priced bets, but Tony Finau's record in big events for a non-winner, or I think he's had one PJ Tour win, his top 10 and top 20 finishes are phenomenal. He finishes in the top 10 or top 20, I'd say 70 to 80% of his tournaments. So he's at $2.30 for the top 20. So he's our other top 20 pick. You've got half the field there. Now, if you can't get it right this week, give up. <laughs> uh, Ernie, of course, uh, made a lot of changes to this golf course. His company was engaged to make a lot of changes to this golf course over the last six or seven years, most of which that haven't been met with great favour, it must be said, by most who are familiar with the old Wentworth. But there might be something in that too, might there? Apart from anything, A, he's got a point to prove, <laughs> to play well on his own course, and B, Having been involved in the design, you would think would bring some level of comfort, particularly if he's had success there previously. Well, most players who are professionals who become golf course designers tend to design the golf courses that they like to play. And I think the best example of that is Jack Nicklaus. He built courses with small, flat areas of green that you had to hit left to right, high left to right shots to get to. He's the only bloke who could get to them. So one would assume that, that Ernie, um, showing the normal predilection for um, self-interest, would have designed part of the course at least to suit him. So apart from that, he's also got a great record there. So that's why we've put him in. Unusually, J.E., the U.S. Tour is going to play second fiddle this week in the world of golf, and that's a situation that we really don't see often. We'll see it a couple of times in these coming weeks as the European Tour heads to its big finale at the race to Dubai. So... Uh, the Sanderson Farms Championship is one of their, what they call the Fall Series events. They tend to attract less than stellar field, but they're important tournaments for the players you haven't heard of to get themselves established on the tour, secure FedEx Cup points and dollars to keep their cards for next year. These are these are high-stakes golf, aren't they, even if they're not necessarily high-profile golf. What have you gone for in the Sanderson Farms Championship this week? Well, naturally, given the fact that 
all the top players are at uh, at Wentworth. There's not going to be very many at uh, Sanderson Farms. And in fact, uh, Joachim Neiman, who won last week, is the favourite. So here's a little tip that's uh, not a podcast, Pete or a Steve tip, but he's a dollar seventy six to make the top twenty. I'd be laying him. I'd be betting against him. He'll have had millions of media interviews. His head will be like a football. And uh, I don't think he'll make the top 20 this week. But he is the favourite. But he's not our tip. But just if you're on Betfair, lay him. So now here's the next, uh, uh, our podcast peak tip. For the win, Ben Crane, $1,000. Now, Ben's the ball guy, skinny ball guy. You'll, You'll remember seeing him. Quite often uh, produces low rounds and low 36-hole finishes. And our plan will be to back him at $1,000 and crush or bet back at probably around about $100. And so ensure that we have a win and plenty to go with if he happens to kick on and win. Very good player. Not, uh, not in great form, but in this lesser quality field and in other years in lesser quality fields, he stood out. So... Ben Crane, $1,000. Big odds. I thought he was about 200 in this field. There's not many 1,000-to-1 chances, uh, and I thought he was way over the odds. Anybody who's kept their card on the US PGA Tour for as many consecutive years as he has has to be a genuinely world-class player, don't they? We often get lost because the big names attract so much of the attention. But just to keep your card on the PGA Tour puts you in the top 0.000000% of professional golfers, doesn't it? Not just golfers worldwide. Well, Rod, you and I never made that tour, so, so quite clearly it's a very tough uh, contract. But um, but uh, Ben Crane, uh, he's he's more than a journeyman. He's, he's, he's a very good player. So, you know, we're all about over the odds and value, and Ben Crane represents the best value here. Now, I haven't got this for you, uh, Rod. This is a surprise. Ooh, okay. We're going to throw out another, uh, because we haven't got any top 20 uh, market um, uh, podcast Pete tips because I only found one potential source of value and he hasn't yet been hit. So you might take a line out of Ben Crane. You might decide to back him for the top 20. That's your business. It's not one of our tips. But there is one I want to mention here, Sang Moon Bay, $520. Now, Sang Moon Bay was a bright, the bright superstar came on, the Korean boy came onto the tour in the US, won a tournament or two, very fine player, and under the Korean government system had to do two years military service. Now, if you're in the US military, you play golf every day with the generals, but if you're in the Korean military, you get start running uh, along muddy tracks and uh, carrying large packs. And so he missed a couple of years of uh, solid golf, particularly competitive golf. He's been back now for about uh, two months. He's shown flashes of form without putting it all together. I think he'll put it together in the next uh, uh, year. But these are the easiest events. So Sangmoon Bay, $520, is my tip of the week. So I haven't told you that, Rod, because I didn't want you going off and knocking off my market. <laughs> uh, an interesting player that you should select too, John, and you, you're right, one of the rising stars of the game. That requirement for military service 
people often ask, why don't we see the Korean men dominating in golf the way we see with the Korean women? And that military service has got a lot to do with it, hasn't it? Because it comes at a crucial time in a golfer's career. I think they have to do it between the ages of 18 and 21. You have some freedom about when you actually go to do it, but not a lot. And it comes at a time for a player like Sang Moon Bae, as you say, those sort of two competitive years that he's lost, you pay a much higher price for that at this end of your career than if it ha- happens at the other end. Well, I think if you take that Joaquin Neiman wouldn't have played in last week's event, which he won by six shots if the Chilean government had the same system. And you'd also have to say that Victor Hovland, uh, Matthew Wolf, and um, uh, Morikawa, they wouldn't have had two years of college golf. So it's a phenomenal inroad into a player's preparatory years and now Sung Yul No is now doing his service at the. I think he's just about completed his service, and he'll be back. But it seems to take them, or at least a year, and maybe even eighteen months, for them to recover and get themselves back into the competitive mode, which only goes to show you just how tough the PJ Tour is. <laughs> we, you can't overstate how good you've got to be to survive on the PGA Tour, do you? It, it, it really is extraordinary, the, the talent levels and the number of players at that talent level. At their very top level, Jay, I think that'll do us for this week. Uh, good to have you aboard. Shame I'm not going to see you next week here in the studio. It's been a real pleasure to have you in the studio, I must say, but we'll do it by Skype <clears throat> by Skype next week. So uh, back to that uh, back to that system. But true to have you here in the last couple of weeks, and thanks for coming along today. Well, Rod... Um after we've won this week, um, I expect you to put the champagne in the fridge and not drink it. That is a very safe bet. Thanks for uh, tuning into episode nine of Risk and Reward. Hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed talking. And as I said there earlier, we'll be back again to do it all next week here on Risk and Reward.